Well, it is good to be with you all here today. Again, my name is Michael Sugihara, and I'm glad to be here in person with you all here, as well as those of you who are connecting with us online. And thank you, Carlton, for leading us in worship today. Thank you, Joseph, for your word as well. I have my notes here to pause and to breathe, just in case I'm nervous. So... In this uh, beginning part, I I believe, right, whenever we approach God's Word, it's important for us to begin by understanding the context of the passage. And in a similar way, I know that I don't know all of you, so I thought it might be helpful to give you a little bit of context about who I am before we jump in together. So as Carlton mentioned, I've had the privilege of serving at New Community within our life group ministry as a lead leader over the past few years. I'm also a middle child. I am married to, as Carlton mentioned, my best friend, Jacqueline, and I'm a Midwesterner, born and raised. Skokie, Illinois, to be exact. Any Skokie out there? Yeah! (laughs) And while these are only a couple aspects of who I am, they help to capture a theme within my life well. I often find myself living and being formed by what I call the in-between. For example, right, as a middle child, I grew up in between two sisters. I have so valued how God has used these relationships to shape the ways that I see and experience women. In my marriage, my wife and I get the opportunity to engage in the beautiful interaction between Japanese, Swedish, and Mexican cultures, all along with the joys and challenges that come with navigating differences together. And as Midwesterner, of course, with a little bit of bias, I believe that as a region in between the West and the East Coast of the U.S., we are an amazing collective of communities, stories, and backgrounds. Chicago, in particular, is an amazing mix of different people as so many different immigrant and refugee groups have come. And I'm grateful for the ways that I've been able to see more of who God is, who others are, and more about life by living in the diversity of this city. And also, as a member of the Asian American and Pacific Islander, or AAPI community, I've deeply resonated with this term liminality, which is this idea of existing in the in-between, often struggling to find my place, my voice, or my value within the larger narrative of this country's history. And as someone that has often felt overlooked in different ways during last week's sermon, it was such a gift to reflect on the ways that our God seeks out and elevates those who society often underestimates. And as followers of Jesus, right, we all have some level of living in the in-between. Sometimes we refer to this as the here, but not yet. Right? We're broken, but we're being restored. And God is still in the process and continues in the process of making all things new. So all this to say that this part of who I am, this in-betweenness, is also part of the way that I've prayerfully and humbly approached this text here today. I'm sensitive to the historical realities this passage sits in between, right? What the Spirit might have inspired Luke to write in between the lines, and what God might be showing us 
through the interactions in between the blind man, the crowds, and Jesus. And so I do want to take a moment to pause here and to ask God for his leading, his sights, and his words during this time. I do believe that the Bible is an amazing gift. I like to think of it as this window through which the Spirit guides us to see God, ourselves, and our world more clearly. And I'm trusting and believing that he has something in this word for us this morning. Let's pray. Generally, Father, we thank you that you are at work. God, you are here, you are at work in the Philippines. God, you are at work all throughout our world. God, and when we become on mission, God, we join you in what you already started. I pray, God, that the words that are spoken here today would first and foremost not be mine, but be yours. God, take out anything that is not of you. And God, may it come alongside the work that you've already started in my heart, in our hearts, and within our community, and within our world. Um, God, we ask for eyes to see. We ask for ears to listen. And God, we ask for humility to be open to what you are desiring to do in us and through us today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So today, we'll be building on what has already been shared in this series, We Want to See, as we shift our prism again slightly. If you'll remember, the first week, Tim highlighted Jesus, and last week, Ruth brought our attention to the crowds. And so this week, I want to focus us on the man, the man who was blind but now sees, in particular, the faith of this man. I know this is now the third week that we've meditated on Luke 18, 35 through 43, and I'd love for us to remain anchored in God's word by reading this passage together again. And so I'll be reading from the New International Version, the NIV, and if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke 18, 35 through 43. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, to provide us with a little sense of direction for today, I wanted to share our central idea. And this idea is that faith in Jesus gives us the power to reject pride, shame, and fear, to see God, ourselves, and others clearly, and live transformed. So we'll come back to this in just a second, but that's again our central idea of where we're going today. And so as I begin, I'm wondering if I could share a story with you. Awesome. (laughs) 
As I mentioned in my introduction, I am so blessed to be married to Jacqueline. And while marriage has been such a joy, we all know, right, to some extent that deep relationships, including marriage, are not easy. And so a few years ago, I was in the midst of one of my most challenging seasons of work. And what I mean by that is that in all ways, I was not healthy, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and as a result, our marriage was also suffering. In the heat of this season, I remember Jacqueline sharing with me, and I now call it truth in love, but she said, we need to get away. I need you to prioritize this relationship. Oof. And at that point, right, given that we were not yet actually one year yet into marriage, you would think that this would have gotten my attention. But at the time, I was not seeing clearly. I remember that when she suggested a vacation to Europe, my first reaction was to feel overwhelmed and anxious. There were too many things to do. What would happen if I left? Who would get that done and this done? And ultimately, it took a godly mentor of mine telling me directly, Michael, you don't have a choice. You are going to Europe with your wife for me to agree to go. And so two months later, we got on a flight to Portugal. Now, after coming off such a high level of stress and striving, I immediately got sick when we landed in Lisbon, and I spent much of the first few days in bed. On the fourth day, we had planned a short trip to visit the mountains of Sintra, which is truly a remarkable place. And I actually have a picture up here to show you a little bit of what it looks like, and Jacqueline and I also. However, at the time, I still didn't feel 100%, but I was also determined to make this trip to Sintra work. In my distorted view, this whole trip was about making her happy. I mean, this was her idea, right? I'm doing this for her. As you might imagine, climbing up a mountain like this with a grumpy, complaining, and feverish partner is actually not that enjoyable, no matter how beautiful the landscape may be. And so not far into this climb, Jacqueline was not pleased with me, understandably. And after some choice words back and forth at a rest stop, she continued on the climb, the mountain, alone. And there I was. <laughs> Don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> I was sitting on a random bench, right, in the middle of Portugal, on a mountain, watching my wife of one year walk away, and I'm still stubbornly thinking, Jacqueline, why are you mad? I should be mad, right? I'm the one that's sick. I shouldn't even be here. Do you know all that I've given up to be here for you? This is what you wanted. As Jacqueline and I recall this moment on our trip today, we do actually laugh about it because it was pretty wild in the actual experience. However, in a little bit of a deeper reflection, it is so evident to me that I was blind to what was right in front of me. I couldn't see how unhealthy I was both inside and out. I couldn't see how I might not actually be in the right and that I was messing up the most important human relationship 
in my life. I couldn't see how scared I was of what acknowledging my brokenness, acknowledging my need and asking for help might mean for me. I needed healing, and my heart needed to be transformed, but pride, shame, and fear got in the way. Not to leave you literally on a cliffhanger here, but we're going to transition back to Luke 18 at this time, but I promise that we will come back to the story at the end. As we move back into Luke, I want to take a moment to remind us a little bit about the context, right, of this passage, to briefly set the scene of when, where, and how we find this blind man. At this time and place in history, let's remember that there were essentially no effective treatments for eye disease and blindness, right? There were no antibiotics, surgeries, or eyeglasses, right? Individuals who were blind were also often mistreated and negatively impacted by this belief that their blindness was a direct connection to the sin or the sins of the individual. John 9, for example, speaks to this. And as you might imagine, right, within this situation, a person who was blind would have had very limited economic opportunities to make a living. And it was common for the blind to need to beg for alms and to rely on the generosity of others. We also read in this passage that this man is positioned on a road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And and given a more comprehensive reading of Luke, we begin to understand this encounter with Jesus takes place near the Jewish holiday of Passover. And so many people would have been traveling this road in order to observe this holiday in Jerusalem, as was the custom. And so if you're putting that together, right, this is a place to be if you are needing help and support. And so now that we have a little bit of this setting, I I do want to highlight for us three observations that we can see about this man. The first observation is that this man is aware of his need for healing. If we go to verse 35 through 36, it says, right, Jesus approached Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. These verses show us that the blind man recognizes that he has a need. He intentionally goes to and sits by the road where he is most likely to receive help. And while he can hear a crowd passing by, we know he cannot see who it is. And so he asks others what is happening. All throughout this passage, the actions of this man show us that he is intimately aware of his need and his inability to see. He needs others to help him, and he is willing to go and do what is needed to seek that help out. All right, second observation. This man understands who Jesus really is. Verses 38-39, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Our brother Tim shared about this in the first sermon of this series, right? That unlike the crowds, this man refers to Jesus not as Jesus of Nazareth 
but as Jesus' son of David. Right? Within this context, the Jewish people would have used son of David to directly refer to the coming Messiah, the anointed deliverer of Israel. And a little bit further in verse 41, this man addresses Jesus directly as Lord. His words make it known that he understands, right, that Jesus is not simply a good or wise teacher. He's not even just a prophet, but Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of David, and that this Jesus has the power to grant him mercy and to give him something that nothing else can, healing and sight. Third observation is this man with faith makes a life-changing request. Verses 40 through 43, Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. I'd love to to spend a moment here and to look at what we see in these verses. At the beginning first that we see that Jesus stops, has the man brought close to him, and asks this man what I would call such a curious, welcoming, inviting question. What do you want me to do for you? And I love this, right? Jesus welcomes this man to speak, the same man that the crowd was trying to quiet. And as Ruth shared last week, what we call this, right, is Jesus is seeing the ministry in this so-called disruption. The blind man then gives this very direct response. Lord, I want to see. And I would like to make a note here that I believe that sometimes in my life and in our lives that there is something that God desires to do for us, but we do not ask. There might be many things behind that, perhaps some of the things we've been talking about related to pride, shame, and fear, but we do not ask. In James 4, 2, it says that you do not have because you do not ask God. Sisters and brothers, I pray that we do not miss what God is seeking to do in our lives and in the lives of others simply because we do not ask. I pray that we may be bold in asking our good God we've been singing about here today, the giver of good things, right, for the desires that he has placed on our hearts. What he wills, he will also do. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith in this way. Now, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Right? Confidence for what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
Jesus proclaims in verse 42 that this man's faith healed him. It was this man's faith, right, in Jesus that granted him healing that no earthly power, including his own, could ever provide. And Luke goes on to write, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Now that he can see, his life will never be the same again. If we go a little bit further, at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, he is actually on the way to Jerusalem and for the very last time. Think about that. All right, for this man, practically following Jesus meant going with him to the place where he would be betrayed, tried, crucified, buried, and resurrected. Talk about a life-changing decision. All right, so as a quick recap, In this passage, we observe this man, one, is aware of his need for healing, understands who Jesus really is, and with faith makes a life-changing request. And so you might be wondering, right, what does this all mean for me or for us? And I do think that is a great question to ask as we're approaching this text. Let's return, if we can, to our central idea. As we've been reading this passage here today, and as we look at the story of this man, I believe that God is inviting us, both individually and collectively, to a faith in Jesus that gives us the power to reject pride, shame, and fear, see God ourselves and others clearly, and live transformed. Let's break this down a little bit. So, when I consider the things that I can all too often get in the way of me or of us following Jesus, pride, shame, and fear quickly rise to the top. Now, what might pride look like? Pride stands up, right, and can declare confidently, you are all that you need. You can heal yourself. Just be better. Dig deeper. Work harder earn it, because if you don't do it, right, no one else will. What about shame? Shame whispers in our ears so destructively, Michael, you are not worthy, right? You are not valuable. You are so broken, and you have made so many mistakes. I mean, really, Who could ever love you? And fear, right? Fear looks around us and says with such a persuasive voice, you know what? You are better off staying where you are. Change is scary and it's disruptive. You'll just be disappointed and you may even have to give up something that you truly care about. It's not safe and it's not worth the risk. In my life, pride, shame, and fear have taken on many different forms. For example, pride shows up when I feel that I have to be right. Even when being right 
comes at the cost of hurting others, and especially when I'm actually wrong. All right, pride blinds me to the ways in which the Spirit might be sharpening my thinking or expanding my perspective in order to renew or redeem something in me or around me. Shame, right? Shame has that sneaky way of redefining my minimum expectation for my life as perfection, meaning that anything less than perfect is failure. And when perfection is my bare minimum, I'm unable to genuinely receive appreciation and joy because whatever I do is at the very most, right, expected. And this mindset leads me to dwell only on where I've fallen short. And fear is often, for me, what paralyzes me when I'm making decisions, right? Because for me, first and foremost, I need to know how everything will play out. I need to know how this will impact every part of and person in my life. It is what prevents me from speaking the truth in love with a friend, family member, because I'm believing that some relationship, no matter how inauthentic, is better than risking no relationship. Pride, shame, and fear. We see in this text that the blind man calls out to Jesus two different times and actually uses two different words in the Greek. In verse 38, Jesus uses the Greek word boao, which refers to using one's voice at high volume to call, to shout, to cry out. Then, when the crowd rebukes him and tries to quiet him, Luke captures this man's cry with the Greek word krazo, which can also be associated with an inarticulate cry and one lacking in sensibilities. Right? This man was not going to be denied this opportunity to encounter Jesus. This man's actions show us that he had decided that it would be more costly for him to stay where he was rather than to endure any potential rejection, embarrassment, or disappointment. You see, true faith confronts pride, shame, and fear and won't stop until it reaches its source, Jesus. Right, in our lives, true faith confronts our pride, our shame, and our fear, and only stops when it reaches Jesus. As we near the end of our time together, I want to make good on my promise and bring us back to our lovely mountain climb, in Sintra. There we are again, smiling. I think that is the one smiling photo we have from this part of our trip. Uh, so with this, right, though I, I did pout, and I use that word intentionally, pouted for some time, as Jacqueline continued onward, I am so thankful that God found it in his plan to not let me stay in that place for too long. 
With his power, I was able to lay down my pride, shame, and fear, and instead choose to place my faith in him and not my own ability. I got up and started to move quicker and quicker up the mountain, repentant and desiring to reconcile. And yes, the reunion that you're imagining in your mind was as miraculous as that. And I still remember the indescribable joy of seeing her moving towards me as I was moving towards her on this mountain. However, I would be remiss to not add that it wasn't actually all uphill from there. I still felt very ill And I am so sad to say that I definitely let Jacqueline know that and complained for pretty much the rest of the day. I am very grateful for her. (laughs) What I love, though, in this image and in this story is that it mirrors, right, our journey of faith. The journey of faith is, right, it's not a destination nor a place that we can reach and say that we are good. It's truly a lifelong struggle, a lifelong journey. And in this, we do not and cannot control, right, the seasons of life and the circumstances that we are currently in. That is God's. And so when we're talking about rejecting pride, shame, and fear, that must be a daily choice that we make through his power. And when we choose faith in Jesus, what I love here is that we no longer are limited to viewing our world through a distorted lens, right? Rather, we are free to more clearly see, first and foremost, all of who our God is, loving, righteous, holy, merciful, just our almighty creator and good father, and you can continue to fill in the blanks, right? And when we see our God clearly, we are then able to see ourselves and others as he sees us, right? With his eyes and his heart. And how does God see us? Fearfully and wonderfully made created in the image of God, worthy of love, righteous because of his Son, heirs with Christ and his children. Right? When we see God clearly, we're able to see ourselves and others clearly also. And when we see with God's eyes, there's no doubt that this will lead us to live transformed. Right? We see in this passage that Jesus didn't simply tell the man, don't worry. You know, seeing actually isn't that great. Right? He, he didn't say, okay, here are some glasses and a short-term fix, just don't lose them. And interesting enough, in this case, he also didn't just say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, in this passage, healed this man fully, giving him both physical and spiritual sight. He changed this man's life forever. And when we receive healing and truly decide to follow Jesus, it will be impossible for us to not live transformed. And that is because in this case, right, his way 
then becomes our way. And this is what we do know, right? When we read Luke and we read the Bible is that Jesus' way is beautifully upside down. And all throughout this book, we see how the kingdom of God is so counter to what our kingdom or our world might say. Jesus claims, right, that if we keep our life, we will lose it. Yet if we lose it, we will find it. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. He lifts up the woeful tax collector and welcomes the little children. He dines with Zacchaeus, all while holding the Pharisees and rich rulers accountable. His picture of a triumphal entry includes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And ultimately, his glorious plan for saving our world necessitated a cross. Through Jesus, God ushered in a new kingdom order. And that is good news, is it not? The gospel of Jesus now is inclusive, not exclusive. Instead of being for the perfect only, it is for the broken, right? Like you and like me. Instead of dishing out judgment, it extends grace lavishly and freely. We have life because he died the death that our sin deserves. We have sight because he has healed us. And we ultimately are given the gift of him taking full responsibility for our actions. And in Jesus, we no longer need to hold on to our pride. We get to approach him humbly. We no longer need to earn salvation. We get to receive it freely. We no longer need to fear the unknown. Rather, we get to surrender, trusting him with the outcomes as we choose to take one step of faith at a time and be a source of healing for others. All right, as we say at New Community, reconciled to be reconcilers. Church, I am convicted that in this season of our community, that God is calling each of us to a deeper faith. In this season, God is calling each of us to a deeper faith. And so to help provide a little bit of guidance here, I ask us with rigorous honesty to consider a few of the following questions, both individually and collectively. With regards to this season, what need for healing might God be revealing to you or to us? Where might your or our sight be currently distorted by pride, shame, and fear? How might the Spirit even now be prompting you 
to respond to Jesus' welcoming, inviting question. What do you want me to do for you? And what might deepening your faith or our faith in Jesus look like in this season? In his book, In the Name of Jesus, theologian Henry Nouwen writes, we are secure, when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic, to be convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. Faith in Jesus gives us the power to reject pride, shame, and fear. To see God, ourselves, and others clearly and live transformed. Ultimately, we can be faithful because our source, Jesus, is faithful. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. God, even as we think about the faith of this man, God, we are reminded and we are brought to your faithfulness, God, in our lives, that your faithfulness that moved forward, that moved towards us, God, when we were still broken, when we were still in our sin. And God, you made a way that nothing got in the way of you connecting and being in a relationship with us, not even a cross, not even death. And so God, today, we do ask, God, that you would give us sight. God, we ask that you would allow us to see with your eyes and your hearts, God, how you see us, God, how you see others, God, and we want to join you in the work that you've already started. God, what does it look like to follow you today? So, I, God, I ask that you would be caring, that you would be present, that you would be in our midst, even as we sit here today. God, we trust that you are directing and guiding our steps. God, we entrust this community to you. God, and know that you are leading us. And God, may we have the humility to surrender. May we have the humility to listen. And God, may we have the strength and the courage to move as you move us. In Jesus' precious name.